Have you ever met someone who seemed to maybe, how should I put this, who wanted everything to revolve around themselves? Have you ever met somebody like that? Raise your hand. You ever met somebody like that? Okay, look around at the hands raised. No, 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 keep your hands up. Look around at the hands raised. These are the most selfish people you will ever meet is the people, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> are the people with their hands raised. No, but we, we definitely have seen that play out. I see it in my kid's life. Um, I posted on Facebook the other day something hilarious that Madeline said. Uh, I said to Madeline, I said, Madeline, help yourself. And man, her quick wit kicked in just within a second or two. And she turned and she said, Daddy, I think those are the three sweetest words in the English language. <laughs> Madeline, help yourself. And I thought to myself, what have I gotten myself into? But we have this propensity or this desire and this drive to have everything revolve around us. The reason we have that is because inside of us, the truth is, we have a propensity to worship. The question is and then becomes, what will we choose to worship? There are people who choose to worship other things besides God, but they may worship themselves. They may worship something they build. They may worship material things, power, or their purse, or a position. How many of you know who Bob Dylan is? Okay. Man, he was a horrible singer. Okay. He was just horrible. Can I just put that out there as my opinion, all right? I tried to watch a YouTube clip because I was tempted to show it this morning, and I thought, gosh, it just hurts my ears, all right? He sang a song. He wrote a song. He co-wrote a song years ago, a gospel song that was sung, and it's been sung since then in some pretty wild and crazy churches. And the title of the song is You Gotta Serve Somebody. And in the song, he writes that down in the song. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're on the lowest rung or the highest echelon of leadership. You're going to serve somebody or something. It doesn't matter if you're a prince or a king. You still serve something or somebody. We will be given to worship, worshiping ourselves, material things, and other stuff. But will we choose to worship God? So we've been in a series over the last couple months, or a couple weeks, I should say, called Worship 101. This morning, I'm going to have you go two places in Scripture, and we don't have them on the screen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Go there with me. And if you'd like to, you could also put a finger in or a place marker in Psalm 95. Now, in this series, what we've been doing, and maybe you're like, oh, wow, the worship ended really quick this morning. What we've been doing is we've been worshiping the Lord through song at the beginning of the service for a shorter period of time, and then doing our preliminary stuff, and then me preach, and then us have a moment or two or three where we can continue to worship God again. Something that we ask ourselves in every service, you should make this your practice the question you should be asking, not yourself, but God himself, is this. Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me as a result of this message? So in a few minutes when I'm done preaching, we're going to worship again. And when the team comes back up here and the lights go back off, we have a moment to just connect with the Lord. I want to ask you today, begin thinking about it now. If you want special prayer, that'll be available as well. If you have a need in your heart, in your home, in your body, at your job, and you would like somebody to pray with you, we are here to do that today. 
Church is a good place to pray, amen, with the people of God. So I hope that got you enough time to get there to Exodus chapter 20 and Psalm 95. We've come to understand in this series that worship is love expressed. Our worship should always be God-focused and God-centered. We worship him, we say, because he is the only one worth worshiping. He literally is the only one worth worshiping. And he should be preeminent. He should be above and surpassing all other things. We have this thought or this um, statement that we make, which is we're making room for him, or we're asking God, come into my heart and into my life. We're saying, God, we want you and your presence in us. But as we've been saying that recently, and we say it through the holiday season, we say that even in songs that we worship, we worship with, and we say, we, we're making room for God. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Some of us haven't made enough room for God. Now, I can say that with a smile on my face, and you can take that with salt or sugar, whatever helps it go down, but something in, inside of us has this tension, which is our self, to pull back and pull away from God when in the moments of our life, which is every moment, we need him, we ought to be expressing ourself to him and declaring to him that he rules and reigns supreme above all else. If you give a child a commandment, the reason why we give him or her a commandment is for many reasons, like their safety, because we love them, we want to protect them, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, we give them a commandment because there's a temptation to go in that direction. Because my daughter, when she's little, she wants to touch everything. So I say, hey, when you come in the kitchen, don't touch the stove. I love her. I care about her. But I'm also commanding her because there's a temptation there that she's got to be aware of. This is what we're talking about today because God, when he gives the Ten Commandments, he's giving us divine commands to kind of help us, not to kind of, but to definitely help us because of our human desires. And the first one, is really important. Exodus chapter 20, verse one says this, and God spoke all these words saying, verse two, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the fourth, third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." So he says very clearly, we're to have no other gods. We're not to make another god. We're not to carve an image. In those days, they didn't have things that they could buy so easily. They had to make everything. So he says, just because you like the power of the horse and the ability of the horse to do great things, don't carve an image and bow down to that horse. We shouldn't do that kind of thing. So he's saying there, there's a propensity for us. There's a drive and a desire for us to worship. And so he tries to put the, the kibosh on that at the front end and says, don't have any other gods before me. He doesn't want competition. And it's not because he's insecure. It's because no one is in his league. 
He's in a league of his own. Amen? He who formed your heart is intimately acquainted with its inner workings. And because of that, he knows that you desire to worship something. And he wants you to desire to worship him and him alone and nothing else. Let me say it like this. When we talk about the preeminence of Christ or of God himself, him being surpassing all others and being in that top place, I want to tell you he should take up the top five spots, okay? Don't let anything, anything be in there that could challenge his rule and reign in your life. He who formed your heart knows what makes it tick, and he wants to, to push you in the direction of a command that says, do not create anything else to worship. I'll have no other gods before me. Psalm 95. I want you to go there with me if you're not already there. Psalm 95 through Psalm 100 are congregational psalms. They've been used throughout the, the history of the church and throughout the Old and New Testament times in the, the temple and the tabernacle and the synagogue. They've been used in these moments of worship, and they're a congregational call to worship. So you'll notice that if you read those, and they're pretty short psalms, if you go through each one of them, you can see it's very um, congregational or holistic. Let us sing praises to the Lord. So in those days, you could imagine a, a priest uh, standing before the people. The band would have been there playing worship as well, doing worship songs to help people get into that moment and into that zone of focusing in on him. And then they would begin to say, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, and and then the people could respond, for he is good and his loving kindness is good. And they would just continue this back and forth, this beautiful, beautiful um, sound of worship. So in the first seven verses of Psalm 95, I want us to read this morning as we look at this and talk about the necessity of putting God above all others. Listen to what it says. Verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. Verse 4 says this. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I love the images that we have there, that he holds the deep places of the earth in his hands. The mountain is his, the sea and all that lives within it is his. And the Bible declares there the reason that it's his and belongs to him is not of anything else except for that he is the maker of it all. He's the creator of it all. So you might ask yourself this question, and there are people who've asked this question before. What's up with music in church? 
You know, like, why, why do we do it? Why do we do it so long? Somebody might say, why do we do it so short? Somebody might say, well, why don't we do my favorite song? Somebody might say, well, why do we still sing that song? And there's all sorts of problems, okay? If you've ever wanted to uh, meet a, let, let's call them a gaggle of people who have different opinions, meet a band, Okay, meet somebody in a band who says, no, I want to do it this way. No, I, I mean, that doesn't happen here, but I'm talking, you know, out there. Um, but, you know, there's, there's all of these different opinions. And even inside of our church, there may be songs. Can I tell you something? There are songs we sing that I don't personally like. <laughs> what? But should I not worship God? Hello, come on, help me out, worship leader. No, I should worship God, even if I don't like the song. Can I be honest? For some of you men in the room, some of the songs are a little bit touchy-feely for me. I'll still sing with all my heart, and I don't sing because it's a show for you. I sing because he's worth it. I sing even when I don't like the words of the song. If they're biblical, if they express my heart, if they express our heart as a church, we go in that direction. We're in this together. Even if you don't sing well, even if you don't sound good, you were created to worship. God created music and gave men and women the ability to have musical instruments and to be able to sing. Music is powerful. It's the language of the soul. It can supernaturally soften your heart. I know because I've done it. I've been in moments of high tense or high pressure or I've been angry and in a bad attitude and I've thought to myself, you know what? <laughs> I just need to worship I just need to worship the Lord. I need to turn on some worship music or praise music. I need to read a psalm. And I need to get myself in the right place again. Because if given to myself, I'll go off in a bad direction. If left to myself, that's what will happen. But when I refocus myself and I'm called to worship, like this psalm says, come let us sing. Then I think to myself, he's worthy to be sung to. He's worthy to be sung about. So it says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Have you ever felt like an outcast? You ever, anybody, can you be honest? There's a couple honest people in here. You ever felt rejected? Okay, that's pretty much everybody. We've all been at a place of maybe even, maybe even you've showed up to church and you felt sinful or guilty because of something you did or said. So yes, there's a right moment for you to say, God deserves my worship and I really should worship him with my whole heart. Even with the junk and even with the clutter, I should still tell him that he's worth my worship. So we do it even if we're dirty. Amen? We do it even when we don't feel like doing it. Okay? Even if we feel like an outcast, even if we feel unwanted, even if we feel like there's something that's between us and God, the word of God says this, come. It says, be with his people. Let us sing, not let me sing. I don't watch the guy on stage sing. I don't watch the worship team sing. I'm not singing to a screen. I'm reading the words off the screen, but my heart is directed to the Lord. It shouldn't be thinking about lunch. It shouldn't be thinking about the fact that I got angry this morning. It shouldn't be thinking about anything else except for he deserves my worship. He's the one I'm singing about. He's the one I'm focused on. We do this together. So sing to the Lord. 
God hears your song. And I would even go so far as to say that he's listening for it. Not listening to it, but he's actually longing and waiting for a song to come to his ear from your mouth, from your heart. Now, we've talked about this before, and you might have that reservation as well, but I don't feel like I'm in the right place necessarily. It doesn't matter. Worship anyway. God calls us all throughout Scripture his sheep. I think he knew sheep were dirty, that they keep getting dirty, that they keep getting themselves in trouble, that they keep trying to fall off a cliff or leave the flock, that they keep on, and he knows that, and yet he still loves us, and he's listening for our song. We're told to sing to the Lord and shout to the rock of our salvation. Some people might not worship the Lord because he's not yet their Lord. If he has yet to become the rock of your salvation, he can become that for you today, right now. Because you and I are sinners. We, we understand this, or we should understand this, and we have the ability to be restored to God, our Father, when we place our faith in his Son. That means that we recognize our sin. We recognize our guilt. We recognize that we deserve death, but we know that in spite of what we deserve, God has forgiven us or desires to forgive us. The debt of our sin has been counted in the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Our debt has been paid in full and we believe the eyewitness testimony that he rose again. Even if we didn't see it and witness it ourselves. he went from death to life. And he calls us to experience the same. We believe that Jesus not only set us free, but he's in, inherited us and brought us into his family, made us sons and daughters of God. We were exiles and we've been adopted into God's family as his kids. We receive undeserved favor and undeserved and unfailing love from a great God. We know that we're saved by grace, so our salvation is secure even though we're imperfect beings. That's the key because we get to the place where we might get all caught up in the behavior and we might not really understand and, and really come to grips with the fact that God wants our heart to be in the right place. But I'm gonna tell you something. Here's a little secret. There is some measure of truth to the fake it till you make it statement. I'm not faking it so Maggie sees me. I, I'm getting to my heart in the right place so that then God hears me and he knows me. And Maggie the same. She's not going to fake it and be like, ooh, praise the Lord, I hate my friend. I can't believe they're such a jerk. No, she's not just faking it and coming in with that, with that sort of attitude. She's coming in with the expectation to worship God and to allow him then to whisper and say, Maggie, you need to forgive him. You need to forgive her. Maggie, you prayed, Holy Spirit, reveal to you what, you want, what he wants for you. Maggie, I want you to get rid of this thing in your life. Sorry, Maggie, you're just there, okay? So it says here, verse two, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? Gosh, I've met some really sad, sour, dour, nasty, ugly-faced people who don't think anything is good or worth celebrating. But we've got a lot to be thankful for. Think about it. 
If he's your maker, he made you. That's worthy to be thanked for. If he's protected you and kept you from harm, if he's blessed you, if he's walked with you through a hardship, if he's helped you through, then you ought to be thankful. And it says, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. This is not a funeral. We are called Celebrate Church. We like that name because we think God is worthy to be celebrated. Amen? I'm excited this morning, and it's not because of six cups of coffee. It's because God's worthy. Amen? He's worthy to be praised. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. The psalmist makes it clear in verse 3 that there are other gods, but this one's the best. This one's the only. We have something worth shouting about. It's not a funeral. It's something for us to be focused on him and put him above every other thing. Anything you focus on can become a god in your life. Some people worship idols made of stone or metal. There are people who serve other religions where they've elevated men to godlike status. This would include people like Joseph Smith, Muhammad the prophet. It would include people like Buddha, who was a real guy, but somehow got elevated to godlike status. We cannot worship anything else except for God. As Christians, we worship the only one who deserves to be worshiped. I love what scripture declares all throughout the Old Testament when people are found with idols because God's people kept doing that kind of thing. Moses is going up the hill to meet with God and Aaron is down the bottom of the hill and he's gathering everybody's jewelry. Give me your earrings, give me your things, give me your necklaces, give me all this stuff. We're gonna melt it and we're gonna make something so that we can worship it. God is pretty upset about that. He's pretty mad when people do that. He says, why would you do this and give credence to something that can't hear you, that can't rescue you, that can't see you? He can, and he does, amen? Amen. So he's the God above all gods and the king above all kings. He is a king above tyrants. He's a king above presidents and princes. He's the king above all Worship is about God and about who he is and what he does and chooses to do. So we ought to shout joyfully because he's our rescuer. He's our king. He's even our friend. The Bible says this to be true. So we've got to understand it in that realm and reality. It's not about me. It's not about you or how I feel. So here's a common worship myth. I should only worship when I feel like it. Absolutely not, because feelings aren't facts. In fact, feelings can really throw you off of the facts. Because you'll choose to believe something that's comfortable. You'll choose to believe something that doesn't upset you. You'll choose to believe what you want to believe rather than what you know to be true and need to believe. The way I feel doesn't change who God is and what he's done. We should never worship based on how we feel because we may not always feel like it, but he is always worth it. Worship will change the way you feel. I encourage you to try it. Worship is all about him. And it can. It literally has the power to change the way you feel. Even though worship is for God, you benefit from it too. You can receive peace, encouragement, strength, conviction, wisdom, all sorts of things. You might feel depleted or discouraged, but God uses moments when we worship him to recharge our very soul. 
So it benefits you and it benefits me when we worship. And God is a bigger deal than any of us. Once we recognize his greatness, we've got to submit ourselves to him. Verse 6 says this, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Anytime you create something, you own that thing. You are in authority over that thing. You own your house. Therefore, you can plant whatever you want to in your yard. You can choose to lock your door or not lock your door because you own it, okay? If you write a song or write a book that belongs to you, you own the rights to it. If you start a business, you're the one who gets to call the shots. That's how it works. So when we recognize God as our creator, our proper response is to lower ourselves in humility before him and to worship him because he made us. Because he owns us. And that's a great thing. It's empowering if you really think about it. Because I know my life is in his hands. I'm confident that his leadership will lead me in the right direction. There's a, there's a thought here in verse 6. It says that we should bow down, that we should kneel before the Lord our maker. They kneeled down and they literally put their face to the ground. This is what the Eastern culture the context of the Psalms had. The only other way you could get lower is to lay flat. God is worthy to be above you. The last verse is this of chapter 95 or Psalm 95 verse 7. It says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I said this earlier, but we're sheep and he knows that. He knows that we get dirty he still deserves our worship because he's not surprised by the fact that we've messed up. Worship team, would you come and join me? I want you, especially the men in this room, but there are women in this room as well who need to hear this encouragement and this challenge. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. And we don't experience his power based on the measure of his presence because he's everywhere. We experience his power based on the measure of our participation. Don't withhold worship from God just because you're worried about the person next to you. Don't withhold your worship from God because you could say, I'm just not that person or I'm not that guy. Don't withhold your worship from God just because you might have this thought that says, well, what is my wife going to think? Or what about my kids? They saw how I lost my temper and, and I don't know. I'll probably look like some fraud. The truth is, every one of us in this room is a fraud. You don't, our hearts don't want to hear that in the flesh. You don't want to hear somebody say that you're a fraud and you're a hypocrite. But the truth of the matter is, all of us are. We've put other things in his place. We've exalted our job, our family, our finance. We've taken other things, whatever it may be, and only you know what they are for you and you alone. But you've put those things in. So I challenge you to throw those things out. The truth is, we are authentic sinners that are saved by an authentic God. And we don't need to attain a certain level of grace or a, a certain level of holiness to earn the right to worship. You don't have to be perfect to worship God. You just have to be forgiven. Amen? Listen to me, church. Genesis 35, Joshua 24, Ezekiel 14, Isaiah 30. All of these places you can find the word of God say, put away from you the idols. 
cast them down, burn them up, destroy them and put them away from you. All throughout, and even in 1 John in the New Testament, verse chapter five, verse 20, John the apostle is writing and he's saying this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So put God above all else. Close your eyes with me quickly right now. I want each person in this room, no matter, and I hope nobody has the physical disability of not being able to raise your hands, but I just want with everybody's eyes closed, would you just all lift up your hands? Just lift your hands, not for me, but I wanna tell you something this morning with your hands raised. Only believers in Christ can both exemplify surrender and victory in the same action of holding up our hands. We surrender to you, oh God, today, and we know that you're victorious. God, I believe right now your spirit is moving in the hearts of our people here. And as we begin to worship you and lift you up, we surrender our idols to you today. We put away those things that have taken up space. Go ahead, church, I hear you praying. Lift up a worship to him. Speak out your praise to him. Declare it to him today. Get right with him and say, God, I need you to forgive me. I've exalted this other thing above you. Father, right now as we worship and as we pray and as we close with this singing of songs, I pray by the Holy Spirit of God, you would speak to every heart in this room today and help them to apply this message. Lord, if we're in the place where you are first and you have preeminence, I pray that we would shout for joy. I pray, Lord, that if we're in the place where you're on a lower level, I pray today you would be on that escalator straight to the top where you deserve to be. For Lord, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. Come on, church, speak out praise to him today. Tell him what you're thankful for. It's in this moment, in this environment that things can change. God can speak and he can break chains. Father, right now, we worship you and put you in the highest place. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.